So this week I got to sit down with Noah Taxman. Noah is an insurance agent out of Denver, Colorado with Goosehead Insurance. So he does policies and bundles anything from like auto to residential policies and he works well with with lenders and that's typically from what I learned how how they often work uh, in terms of referral partners. And so I sat down with him. He was actually introduced to me through Nick White with Megastar, and I've had Nick on here before a couple of times. Uh, so Nick White comes back on for this episode as well, and we learn a lot about Noah, not only about insurance, and I explains how he makes insurance from what we all think might kind of be a a boring, so to speak, topic. He makes it somewhat sexy, if you will, and then he talks about his background in crypto and with other sales jobs and business endeavors throughout college. So uh, he's a super interesting guy. He's got so much experience in so many different industries, but what it all kind of resorts back to is who he is as a person and how exactly he operates his businesses every single time he starts something new. And you'll learn what some of those common qualities are. And at this point, it's pretty easy to tell that just about everybody that I have on here is very similar in what their mentality is going into the business that they're going into. And you learn that a lot in this episode, especially since we kind of focus on some of those some of those qualities that we tend to have as entrepreneurs that make us successful versus the money chasers. So well, where are you heading now? Is that I'm out in- of town? Yeah, I'm going to California. Um, oh, nice. As of a couple of days ago now, um, just got some information. There's going to be some opportunity to go out there, kind of prospect that California market and see what's going on. So going to be meeting with as many realtors, lenders, anyone part of the home buying process that I can uh, connect with there. Going to grow my network and come back to Denver and hopefully start closing some deals with them. Absolutely. So is that... Tell me, is like that how you kind of generate your business similar to lenders? You, you do just a lot of referral-based uh, type networking? Is that how it works? Definitely. I mean, the great thing about um, the space right now is as an insurance broker, a lender, and a realtor, we're all approaching the same clients, but we don't compete with one another. So we're really trying to uh, connect and build our networks as much as we can. Um, every realtor needs a lender and an insurance broker to close their deal. Same for me. You know, there's got to be a lender and a realtor for a deal that even exists to close. Um, so we all do our part of the puzzle to make these deals go through. And as many names that we could add to our list, and as many times we get the opportunity to provide good business, really leads to our lead generation. Absolutely. And um, just starting off here, where so for people who don't know, at what point in the process do you typically, and what point in the home buying process do you typically have that first conversation um, with the buyer or the borrower? You know, definitely. Um, and just to backtrack a bit here, just about my process. So there's a lot of insurance agents and brokers who are going to be cold calling people asking if they need insurance. Uh, I work for Goosehead Insurance Agency, and we're a brokerage that takes a very different approach. We rely strictly on our referral partners. So we make as many connections with people like Nick, realtors, uh, lenders, whoever it may be, uh, who's a part of the home buying process and get to that point where um, we get to 
show the work that we do and we become a contact for them to call. So in terms of when we get that phone call, as soon as they're under contract and they have a closing date set, that is when we get the call. Okay, in order for this to go through, we need to insure the home. And they find someone who could do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Nick, I, I'm sure like, you know, this is this is kind of your wheelhouse because obviously everyone wants to make sure that they're insured, but it's it's really the lender at the end of the day who sort of mandates it, quote unquote, right? And so how do you? It, it, how, how does it work in terms of who, like who approaches who? Is it typically the insurance agent that approaches the lender, or vice versa? I would say it's more so on behalf of the insurance agent to reach out to the lender gotcha. to prospect and make that connection, just like Noah did. And then in regards to my prospecting, it's not always usually reaching out to realtors. Yeah, um, just like I did with you back in February. So. Um, that's pretty much the process, yeah, when it comes to prospecting at least. But in, in regards to, again, putting all the pieces together, I definitely carry most of the responsibility to make sure that deal goes through, to make sure that the buyer is good to go with financing and that they're not you know, pushing their budget to the limit. Some people don't care to do so, but um, you know, I try to make sure people succeed financially with real estate. That's why I'm on the lending side. And it really does, I guess it does really come down to me to make the deal um, come through. Right. Right. And so, no, I, I want to get your take early on because we have a bunch of stuff that we're going to go through, but just, I know you're not licensed in Florida, but Florida right now is like the a hot topic in terms of insurance and where it's gone. So first of all, are any of the markets that you're in, are you seeing something similar or in that wheelhouse of a massive increase in premiums kind of at the renewals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just countrywide right now, with the amount of natural disaster we're seeing, um, inflation, every piece of the puzzle that could possibly affect insurance currently is. And it's doing it drastically, not just in a small way. And in return, we're seeing rates spike quite a bit. Every area individually is going to be different. You know, Florida, for example, with hurricanes, there's going to be uh, a different spike in coverage. You know, just for the carriers to be able to provide this insurance and to have liquidity to pay out in the event that something happens, we're going to see a big spike in the annual premiums. In Colorado, for instance, where I do the vast majority of my business, um, do you remember the Boulder wildfire last year? Mm hmm. So it was horrible. Took out a lot of homes, um, just took out acres beyond acres of land. And when something like this happens, you know, there's certain zip codes that get pinged, that get dinged, that are in an area where their fire risk is now, you know, proven true and that it's happened. And they might even be um, elevated to an, a higher fire risk area. And we're going to see premiums move quite substantially when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, you know, we're, we're seeing this from pretty much every avenue of every industry you can possibly imagine. And Nick, I'm sure this affects you too, because you know when when people say the mortgage, I, I mean, I talk, I, I talk to a vast majority, d different kinds of people, but a lot of people, especially younger people, when they hear mortgage, they literally just think about principal and interest, and they don't understand that it encapsulates a lot of different payments that fall under mortgage. And so when you're going to get somebody approved, these are things that obviously you have to take into account or maybe post approval process. But by the time they're looking at a property, it's like sometimes, like like you said, Noah, in that higher risk fire area, 
that can make or break somebody's affordability, not the principal and interest. But so, so no, how do you go about ensuring that I use insuring with an E, not I just yet. Um, how do you go about ensuring that people like in this time when things are increasing rapidly are still insured properly, but at the same time, aren't, aren't finding it too difficult to get into a home affordability wise? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. Um, because, uh, a monthly insurance payment typically is not going to be the make or break of if someone's going to buy a home, but it can affect the comfort that someone has doing that uh, immensely. You know, if someone's paying the difference between two hundred or four hundred dollars a month on their insurance, that's going to be a big spike on their mortgage payment. So, the potential of finding a lower rate is really something that people search for. That's why they shop around. And that's why it makes my job a lot easier than someone who's an insurance agent for one individual carrier. You know, if you work for a state farm or USAA who's selling their policy strictly in-house and doesn't work with other carriers, if they can't cover it or can't find something that works, they don't really have somewhere else to check. I work with a very wide range of carriers. Um, a lot of the big players, a lot of the smaller guys, uh, kind of all across the board. So there typically is always something that fits for someone. And that ability to search the market is what separates Goosehead as a company from a lot of our competitors and makes me a very attractive um, option for the clients that I work with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, find it interesting because it's sort of a topic that like um it's not it's not really often talked about right it's like people think of okay i want a house and then i need the money for the house and then you know there's x y and z and then some that you have to think about too so it's important people understand it and you and i were talking the other day and i had said something uh, to, to the effect of like you know how do you how do you make in insurance sexy because in, in this industry of real estate, the sexy thing is walking in a house and seeing a beautiful kitchen and a cool fireplace and like, you know, all these sort of things like the real estate itself is typically referred to as the sexy part of the, of the whole process. But I want you to speak for yourself because you brought up a very good point in how you make it look sexy. And I'd like you to explain that. Absolutely. And I'm glad, glad you brought this point up. Uh, it was fun touching on it the other day. You know, when you say, hey, I sell insurance, off the bat, doesn't sound too sexy, too exciting. I'm not, you know, you're not moving million dollar houses. It's, it's different. But at the same time, uh, insurance is a legal requirement. If you drive it or you live in it, you have to insure it. Uh, that's just the way it works. And that being said, um, offering that wide range of options and being to work with a bunch of different carriers, nine times out of 10, if not more than that, I'm saving people money. So it's coming to someone not pitching a product or something that they have to buy, I'm talking about something they already have or they're required to get to make a new purchase and telling them I'm coming in at the best rate. You know, Some of uh, the best things that'll happen is, um, you, like let's use Nick, for example, sends me over um, a client, they're closing in on a home and they need insurance to go through for it going through my sales process with them, asking them what insurance they've used in the past, who they're currently with for their autos. They tell me they're paying $400 a month for their autos. Um, that's quite pricey. I get the opportunity to find them a bundle deal that gets them covered for the new home. 
their debt to income ratio works with the policy I found them. And, you know, that's the first reason they called me to get the home insured. But hey, I'm here. I've already collected their information. I asked them if they want me to take a look at their autos as well. I'm able to find them something for $300 a month. It is, I think it's sexy. I think it's cool to have the opportunity to call someone back and say, hey, we're going to find you something that works for the home, a policy that's going to get you proper coverage. And the amount you're going to be paying monthly works with the loan you've taken out. That being said, I've also bundled in new auto coverage. We're going to be getting you the same uh, liability limits and we're going to be saving you $100 a month. So over the course of the year, we're going to be saving you $1,200. And we've now found you a policy that allows you to buy your new home. And that to me is exciting. It's fun. And the client on the other end loves getting that news delivered to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, Assume so. You're you're an insurance agent. So when I when we talk about State Farm and Progressive, those are carriers. So exactly. If I, I'm I'm going to use them as an example because in the last what eight to ten years they have made their mark as like I feel like they've sort of made insurance sexy in their own way in terms of like everyone knows Jake from State Farm. Everyone knows Flo from Progressive. Like they kind of brought light to like they lightened up the topic of insurance because like. I was young, so I, I I can't speak, I guess, like too accurately about this, but I never really knew what bundling was until Flo just kept saying it over and over and over and over and over again. And then you understand the benefits of bundling. And like now it's now it's like the, the talk in insurance is bundle, bundle, bundle. Well, how, how many things can I throw in here to, to sort of make it all kind of tied up in one little one little bow? So that's really interesting. I like I like your your take on that because it's a requirement. And like trying to make requirements as appealing as possible can be tough as it is, let alone something that's sometimes looked at as an afterthought. I, I love your approach to it because at the end of the day, like you said, if you drive it, if you live in it, you have to insure it. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I've even started kind of rephrasing it to myself the way I'm thinking about it, especially if someone's reshopping their insurance and you know thinks their rates are currently too high, comes to me and says, I want you to take a look at it, see if we could get that number down. Instead of selling someone something new, I'm selling someone something they already have and saving them money. So they were already spending that money. I'm giving them uh, a similar product. It may be with a different carrier. Uh, it's going to have the same coverage and same protection that they were already have receiving before, but now they're just paying less per month or annually. Right, right. And you know this this is a topic that's going to go out to both you guys because all three of us, in essence, are salespeople. I mean that that's really what, what we all do to some degree or another, and so. Sales is one of those industries where it, it it looks just like we were talking, like it looks sexy on the outside and there's a lot that goes into it that's that's like behind the scenes that's not as appealing as people often think. And so my, my question to each of you, and, I, and I'll start with you, Nick, is like, you know, not just what got you into sales, but what kept you going in sales? Because that's, like I said, the, the sexy appeal at first. Oh, I get to, you know, talk to a bunch of people, network people, like build this big group around me, build this brand around me. I get to sell. Like, it, it sounds cool, but once people realize, okay, this is really what goes into sales, it's, it's not always as appealing as it seems at first. It's still awesome, but, you know, it has a lot of nuances to it. What kept you in it? I, I really hate the term sales. It, 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 I don't like that 
term for the career that I'm in. I simply am in a, in a business and in a career that revolves around building relationships with people and providing them as much value as I can. Sure, I'm selling them mortgage loans. I'm selling them a product. I'm selling them my service. Of course I am. You, Tyler, you're selling your service as a flipper and investor. Noah, you're selling your insurance products. We're all salesmen here. But we have products and or services here that people will value and that people will appreciate. Um, and I love connecting with people. Not to brag here, but when I was in, in college at, at SNHU, a few of my friends called me a snoo liberty because I just knew so many people at school, not just in the, from the gym, but people from the business school and people from engineering. And I was in a bunch of different clubs with the campus too. So I, was, I just knew a lot of people and I really just enjoyed building relationships with people that way. Um, and I knew I wanted to have the same impact in my career too. And being in real estate as a lender, that's, that's my day-to-day job is building relationships with, with partners, with clients, with new people as well. And me being so naturally extroverted, I love that. I, I absolutely love it. So like no, Tyler, you can ask Noah the amount of connections I've given him over the course of the past three weeks. Like, Well, that's what other- I was going to say when you said you're a new celebrity. I'm like, nothing's changed. Like I have gotten so, so many connections from you. I feel like every week you're texting me like, Hey, Hey, I just talked to this, this guy or this girl, whatever you, you, you guys will definitely connect really well. Want me to make an introduction? Want me to make an introduction? Like I stole that line from you now. If I put people in touch, I'm like, Hey, I pretty much do the same script you do at this point. You've introduced. Do you, do you set do you set up the group chat the yep. exact same way I do? And, and then I do yeah. like, like I give the little briefing <laughs> and then I do the Tyler meet Nick, Nick meet like I do it the same way, but it works, dude. And you know, I'll say it here too. Like I really appreciate it because right now we're doing a three person podcast with somebody you introduced me to. This came from the group chat, like literally it's a new group chat almost every day for the past three weeks (laughs) since I've met Nick. You know, I think you two would hit it off. I think you guys would do business together. I think you guys just talking uh, could find some opportunities in the individual fields that you do. And Nick, consistently and constantly uh, goes out of his way to introduce people who he thinks would do good business together and says mm-hmm. a lot about you, Nick. Appreciate absolutely, it. which is not surprising that that you corrected me on sales versus building relationships. That fits so well because that's exactly what you do. And hopefully one day I can network with enough people to return the favor. But for now, I'm just going to say I appreciate it. Um, but no, I mean, that that makes so much sense, especially for you, because yeah, everything is about building relationships with you. It's, it's always like an introduction to build a long lasting relationship and create a connection with somebody. And, and that's incredible how you've done that. And I love to expand the relationship, not beyond business as well. Like Tyler, we've hit the gym numerous times yeah. together. No, we're going to be shredding powder numerous times this winter together. Um, like there's, my my, I have a firm belief that with every person that you meet, you have at least one common connection with them, and you can build a relationship based off that one common connection. Like Tyler, you and I have a multitude of uh, different similarities, or not different similarities, but well, a multitude of similarities that yep. we share. And no, I know you and I just met, but we already have a lot in common too, and we're building off that as well. So it's like. That's why I love building relationships with people because not only is it a business partnership, but you, the ability to like go to Breckenridge for a few days, you know, ski, do whatever you want to learn do for how a few to days. ski, or for you, learn how to ski, right? 
or like to go to the gym and work out together or to like go to a Red Sox or Rockies game together. Like it's just so much fun to do that. And I find so much value in doing so. And again, just me being naturally super extroverted. I just naturally love to do that too. Yeah. So I, um, that's my, that's my viewpoint on sales is it's not, yes, you are selling a product or service, but you're building a relationship that will continue beyond that closing. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, man. So same question to you though, Noah, is, is, you know, you, so you've been at Goosehead for now, is it two months? Uh, three months. Three months now. Okay. So at t- the two month mark, if I'm not mistaken, is when you hit that, that, um, 20 K revenue, correct? So this, I just started my first, um, my fourth month. Technically it was my second full month live, but I started, uh, the second week of September and that counted as my first month. October was my second month. November, um, I had a very successful month and put up 20 K in new business revenue. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this, is this like your first true sales job or relationship building job? Yeah, I'd say, you know, every business I've ever been a part of, every job I've ever had, I think sales is a main factor. And I really appreciated what Nick said about, you know, not liking the term sales, but in in my mind, I've kind of changed what that means to me. Because I think no matter what you do, you're you're selling. You know, right now, when after this podcast is made and we're posting the Instagram reels to get people to watch it, that's selling. That's our pitch to get people to watch the rest of the video. If you're a lawyer and you're presenting your case to the job to the judge, you know, you're selling the judge on what you believe in. No matter what you're in, just because a product isn't exchanged, you're still selling. So I feel like that mindset definitely differs when you're collecting credit card info or having someone link their bank account to um, start a mortgage payment. But the, the mindset and the idea is the same. If you're proud of your product and you know you're providing a service that's going to help the client, then um, it's something that I take I definitely a lot of pride in and enjoy doing. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well said too. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, it's, you're exactly right. It's like, and every facet of your life, one way or another, there is some sort of sale going, whether that's, that's an argument with somebody or a debate, you're all you're doing is selling your point. It doesn't have to be monetary, nor does it have to yield you anything physical, but one way or another, you're trying to prove something. You're trying to prove a point. And yeah, I mean, I mean, it's one of those things where you, you try and like industrialize essentially what we do in life every single day and you do it paired with something that you think will bring value to somebody. And really at the end of the day, what you're trying to prove to somebody is why it is that they should use their hard earned money and or time on whatever that product or service or whatever it is that you're selling. But more than that, why it should be valuable to them. Because there's there's two types of sales. There's selling a service or product that's better than an existing one. And then there's, I think, the harder type, which is selling something that no one's ever imagined they needed. Right. And that's, that's a whole different animal is trying to figure out like, all right, well, I can, I can sell a better house to somebody than the guy next door. But like, what if I'm trying to sell something completely different and foreign from a house? Right. And it's like, same idea. I can't even fathom what something like that would be. But the point is, it's like 
trying to sell, sell somebody on the internet way back in the day is vastly different than trying to sell somebody on why their book is better than the guy before them. Absolutely. So, but you know, I found it interesting because you have a, a very unique, um, history, right? So all the different industries and, um, you know, so from what we talked about, which one was first? No, it was crypto that was before the snack business, correct? Absolutely. Um, they kind of all coincided. Um, just like brush back on what we talked about in college, I started a media group, which was basically an umbrella company for all of the different hustles I had started, which were snacks with tax, hence the name no attacksman, uh, campus delivery service that had everything from Cheetos and Doritos to condoms and tampons, you know, anything for a college student uh, could possibly want, as well as um, Run It Up Rips, which was a sports cards page where we ripped cards live on social media that people could buy from viewing online. And then the biggest business, um, our most successful business, I should, say, I should say, was Designated Confusion, which was a crypto and NFT educational service. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so that's cool because, you know, I know you said that this was your first sales job, but, but in all reality, every part of that was like a, a, you know, not only entrepreneurial endeavor, but like sales as well in different areas, which I got to imagine has brought extreme value to you now in the insurance space, especially like now I'm kind of tracing it back. And I hadn't even thought about this when we talked last, but now I'm tracing it back and I'm saying, it's no surprise that you're able to make insurance look the way it is because you were doing so many, like, and I don't mean this as a dig, but so many random things, you know what I mean? Like so many things that had nothing to do with each other, yet they were all successful and you found a way to sell them all effectively. And so would you say that that that's maybe a skill, like an umbrella skill that you took with you? Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you want someone to buy a product from you and you want them to be happy about that purchase and you want to create excitement ar around that. And however you can do that is uh, going to vary on what the product is, who you're working with and who the client is. But working in all of those random fields and being all spread across the board definitely gave me a good vision of how people want to feel when they buy a product. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And go ahead, Nick. I have something I want to share with actually snacks with tax. Like it's actually kind of genius for a college student because it's like on campus DoorDash. Yeah. And like, that's like, exactly. It's say, say like people are sick or they're like busy between classes. You can just like run food to them. That's it's actually kind of brilliant. So, so how did that model work? That's interesting. Um, so that way that model worked was we had pickup locations. So whenever I went to the university of Denver in every campus storm, I had a student who was, who lived there, who was supplied with everything snacks with tax carries. I would fill them up on a weekly basis if they needed it sooner. That was a great problem to have. And, you know, my grandma got me a Costco card. She got me a yearly membership. A Costco membership. I, I love it. I told her like what I was doing. She goes, great. You know, I, I, I want to be a part of this or help in any ways. So she got me a Costco membership. Forever grateful for that. And just started buying snacks in bulk. And 
putting it to pickup locations. At the end of the day, I was the only person driving and dropping off snacks. Uh, you know, the idea of having college kids driving under my liability gave me it was not worth the anxiety of that happening. So it was easy for kids just to take the elevator up two floors to whoever the snacks with tax representative was. They could buy their snacks and there was, it was basically a, a store that I could place anywhere as long as there was a kid who was willing to do it. That's so, that's so cool, dude. <laughs> like, I, and I love having people like, like you on with this story because like, you know, this, I, and I always say this, I probably, I probably beat the hell out of this point, but I'm going to say it every single time I'm on this podcast is people exactly like you are people who I want to have these conversations with on this podcast, because there's, there's going to be somebody who's 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever years old listening. And you know, the, I, I think I was talking, yeah, I think I was talking to Nick about this last night, actually, because we started up doing some, some um, weekly calls. And one of the things I was talking about was like admitting to some of my own limiting beliefs, right? Because we all have them. But when you're younger, it's a lot. E I th I feel like it's a lot easier to get trapped into a limiting belief, thinking that like it, you know there's there's only maybe one industry that you're made for, and even at that, it's difficult to tap into when it's saturated things like this. And you're on here talking about four different industries that you were clearly even at Goosehead being there for now three, starting fourth month, won that award earlier than anyone ever has, to my knowledge. Correct. Correct. So being highly effective in so many different industries, I think that what you, what, at least what you're bringing to the audience here, aside from the specific insurance advice, is just sort of like that idea that there's not, the, there's not one thing that you need to choose. There's a million things that you can choose. You need to understand a general concept because when you can apply that general concept to an industry here, you could most likely apply it to another industry and another industry. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, you know, you have a skill set that's above a specific industry and then you can just plug and play. Absolutely. And when I look at Nick and I look at you, Tyler, I see the same thing. And there's three things that you need to bring to any market, to any job, to any class you're taking. And I believe that's committing to yourself, um, providing honest work and hustle. You know, because if you do those three things, you're going to succeed. It might take one person a month. It might take one person a year. But if you stay consistent, if you're committed, you're honest, and you hustle, it's going to get noticed by others and people are going to want to work with you. Because the rest mm -hmm. of the things, you could figure it out as you go. If you want to grow a bigger network and you're consistent, and you're honest, and you're hustling, people are going to see that. If you're going to every networking event that's around you, people are going to show up. People are going to, your face is going to become familiar to a lot of people that you want to work with. And the more you could just kind of stay true to those three main values, I believe that, you know, transcends into any field you want to take them to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I like how you said honest, like, like honest work, because one of the things that, that you had mentioned the other day to me was, was one of the things that kind of took you away from the, not that you're not still in crypto to a, a degree, but sort of took you away from that space was that, um, it, it was a company, which, which, co which company, if you don't mind me asking, did the layoffs? Um, 
Absolutely. So I worked with Kraken, who is a fantastic company, um, you know, really believe in their mission and everything they were a part of. But it, I think the part of the conversation we were talking about was kind of FTX and um, how poorly that went down and, you know, seeing what SBF did to so many people so many honest people who believed in the idea of crypto, believed in the assets of it, um, watched their money go away overnight. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's something where I think same idea. It's like that wasn't necessarily representative of, of honest work. And, and the interesting part is that somebody who, who sticks so true to that value, you kind of walked away at that point by and large. And so, you know, that's also a testament to who you are, obviously, as a person, because that was a that I mean, you you said you, you were like Mr. Crypto man, right? Yeah. What, what was your what was your nickname? Uh, I, I was Mr. Crypto, you know, I ran. Yeah. It, it was all I did at all times. I had two phones on me. One was for 24 seven access to anyone who was part of my close friend's story, who could give me a call for any, any crypto NFT uh, question they had, I was there to answer. And I was finding myself caught up in a group of, you know, it's these micro niche internet groups are so real. No matter what um, you're interested in, there's a community of people who talk, who know each other, who dictate what content is seen. And I felt like I was providing, I was providing education. I wasn't saying, come here, I'm going to get you rich. I was saying, I'm going to teach you how to navigate the space, how to find coins that have legitimate utility, how to understand where you can... Uh, double cross examinate your um, information that you're gathering on Twitter, who are real accounts to follow, how to contribute to the space, not just take from it. And the people I was competing against were, hey, send me $5,000. I'm going to show you how to turn it into $25,000 in two weeks, whatever that may be. And this is where, you know, the sexiness, I wasn't presenting that sexiness of right. let's make, let's five X your money real quick. But I was coming in with that honesty. I was coming in with that consistency and I was sticking to every person I had met with and every person who had bought the product I was selling. So I felt like I was getting too caught up of being a part of a scene I didn't want to be a part of. I yeah. was uh, a lone wolf in a pack of people who were really trying to prey on the uneducated when I was trying to uh, bring up and uplift the uneducated. Yeah. No, I love that, man. And, you know, that always traces back to to your upbringing, right? Because like, we, we like to think that everyone grows up or, or everyone's born an honest person and, and, you know, they stay that way. But that's not always the case. Hopefully it is, but it's not always the case. And a lot of the times it's, it's sort of a testament to how you were brought up as well, uh, because it can get difficult to be like thoroughly honest to the degree where you decide to walk away from essentially who you are at that time. You have the, the you know, the willpower to walk away in the name of honesty. And that's huge. So what was that upbringing like, if you don't mind getting into some of that? No, absolutely. Um, I am now, have always been, and forever will be grateful for Mark and Nancy Taxman. Those are my parents. And they just always showed me the importance of generosity, the importance of, you know, not judging a book by its cover and just, um, you know, being true to yourself, no matter 
you know, it sounds corny, but no, no matter what happens, um, just treating people the way you want to be treated. And they just really set a great example of how to treat other people. I'm the youngest of three siblings and my older uh, of uh, two siblings, sorry, uh, three kids, my older sister and older brother kind of always demonstrated as well, you know, what working hard in school could do, the opportunities it could open, the doors it could open, as well as just being a good standing person. And then, you know, you take into yourself like self-error, everyone here is messed up, everyone's gotten into trouble. And when you try and step out of the lines, do things differently, you it knocks you back on track real quick. You know, you realize when you didn't do something right, that's not how that's not the results you wanted. And adjusting your character or adjusting the way you acted is gonna have a big effect on your future. So just right. having a great family um, of people who have just always been honest and had great characters really I think helped lead me to the person I am today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. And so, you know, you said that your, your siblings were a great example of that and you made a specific point to say that mainly in school, you know, you, they showed what they can do in school. So it, it did, did they, come out of high school and college and, and get into one a very like intellectual field for lack of a better term. Absolutely. And I'd say in like in different ways, you know, my sister, when she came out, she's eight years older than me. Whenever she, when she was in high school, uh, she came home at three, three thirty, four o'clock. She went upstairs and she locked her door and she started studying till dinner time and got her stuff done. She was on mock trial. She worked incredibly hard. I was always like a teacher's pet, close with her teachers, and went out of her way to do extra work. And you know, at the time, you think, why is she not having fun? Why she's not doing other things? Of course, she had friends and a social life, but. It wasn't how I looked at school as like a little kid at the time. I was like, I don't want to be here. I want recess all day, whatever it may be. And, you know, I watched her go to college. She went to Tufts in Boston. It's an incredible school. And she was just so happy there. It was a school that fit so perfectly for there, the environment, the other people who were there and the classes she was taking um, just lined up so well with what who she was at the time and who she wanted to be. And, you know, for lack of a letter of a better saying here, I learned the importance of giving a shit and really just committing to whatever it is you want to do. Um, I learned at an early age that it's cool to try. And I, I think I, I got that out of watching people who tried, succeeded and got opportunities because of that. I love that you said that um, because I was, I, was talking to a, a couple kids that I, I had gone to school with, you know, I, so I went to a different high school than a couple of these kids, but, um, they were still in my, in my town. I, I went, I didn't go to the, the high school in my town, but I knew them all throughout high school. And I knew that they weren't necessarily the ones to try the hardest. I'll put it, I'll put that lightly, but I just linked up with one of them recently. And what he was telling me is that well, I mean, where he is now is just like incredible. Like I give him all, all the, all the props in the world. Like he he did a complete 180 from where he was at in school. And that's sort of one of the things that I, I didn't, we didn't put it into those words, but that's exactly the basis that we were talking about is learning the importance to give a shit. And he didn't really give a shit in high school. And 
did that set him back? Probably, right? Because seeing where he's at now, knowing how capable he was of getting to this point so quickly once he actually decided to give a shit is very telling to what he was capable of when he was, you know, younger. Um, that's interesting because not everybody learns that, right? Like not everyone takes life seriously at all. And I don't think that life should be taken like incredibly seriously and everything should be like regimented, but there's absolutely like there's, there's a, there's a middle area for that. Right. And so it doesn't need to be both extremes. You don't need to take things like, like politician level seriously, but you also don't have to be a shithead. Like you can find that middle ground where you're like, you know what? I'm going to have fun. I'm going to, you know, not give a shit about X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to at least try my very best to put myself on the correct path. And it's interesting that you learn that at a young age, because I don't know how many role models are out there, especially external role models, because I think to a degree, we want to be like our parents, but to a degree, we also don't, right? It's like, it's like that we don't, we don't want to always be like the people who tell us what we can and can't do. It's like, you know, don't, don't, don't limit me. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. And from a very early age, they're the people who do that. So it's very tough to also at the same time be like, I want to be exactly like them because they're also the people who sometimes we look at, especially at a young age as the opposition. So having those external role models to show us how to give a shit, right. is like, like people who we're not in opposition with at a young age, we're like, we're looking up to fully and completely. That's huge, right? Like you had that older sister, and you have an older brother or two older sisters? Uh, older brother as well. My older brother's yeah. great too. I was just kind of fixated on my sister there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. But, it, but but you just bring up a really good point. I want to make sure before I forget it, I at least bring that up. It's it's huge to find those external role models. And that's why everyone says find a mentor, right? And and I mean, Nick can probably speak on this with, with Mike, right? It, it, it sounds you – you hear all the time on social media, you got to find a mentor. And like as cringy as some of those videos are, it's true. Like if you find someone that you want to be like 10 years from now or five years from now, they've had experience, success, they have achieved the things that you want to achieve, why wouldn't you want to be under their wing? Right. Why wouldn't you want to learn from them? They can teach you so much as to how they've overcome obstacles and succeeded the way that they have. So finding a mentor in whatever you're trying to succeed in, it, it, it's so true. And again, it sounds so cliche, like cringy to say that because of these certain videos people make online and whatnot, but it's true. If you find the right person or the right people to mentor you, to t- take you under their wing when you're learning and understanding the business it's a huge plus for you in the long run yeah yeah because and like i said i mean i want to i won't want to beat the hell out of it but it's also because you're not you don't look at these people as people who limit you you only look at them and you've like up until the point that you've known them you only know them as people who can expand your horizons and like that's Mm -hmm. that's why it's really in my eyes it's really tough to whole by and large just rely on your parents for mentorship just because like i said there's something like you you live with them every day it's tough to it's it's tough to look look up to them in a way that you fully and completely trust everything that they say because that's just not human nature like from from the Mm -hmm. time you're a baby typically the first thing you say is no instead of yes it's like no don't tell me what to do instead of yeah absolutely i'll do that so 
It's interesting. I'm glad you bring that up um, because I'm the same way, Nick. Like I listen to these videos and it's like, Hey, they give like the little tidbit. They're like, Hey, you know, I do a mentorship program, this and that watch how I make 12 friggin' million dollars a day, like some stupid arbitrary number. And then they charge like 85 grand for their two week mentorship program. And that's very different from finding somebody that you kind of fly under their wing for a couple of years. And you know, this might be good to throw out to you know, is is there like a is there somebody in the insurance space that's been a mentor to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um there there's been a handful of them. Uh to go there's been a lot of them. So I'm, mine's kind of racing here, but you know, within Goosehead, there has been Evan Mack, who started as my sales coach at Goosehead, um, has just been incredible, you know, as taking me under his wing in and out of the office, you know, through here, he has shown me the correct sales process, you know, how to treat clients properly, how to go about meeting more referral partners. He's shown me a lot of, you know, what works for him and given me the opportunity to like, you know, we say like, be like our parents or do something. We want to be like them. Not exactly. We get the opportunity to add our own flair into it and see what works for us and the people we're meeting with. So he has been there every step of the way for me. Uh, Sam Kleinmunz is um, another agent at Goosehead. Both him and Evan are starting their own franchises upon the new year, which is quite exciting. And they're two years older than me and have just really been in my ear with advice and motivation since the first day. Um, outside of Goosehead, uh, Jade Whitehead, is a very important mentor to me. And she's someone who I got connected with once I uh, accepted the job here. A friend of mine said, hey, you know, they had a family friend who had done very successfully in the insurance space for a long time and wanted to connect me with him. Uh, her name is Jade Whitehead, and she is just such an impressive woman. Like, uh, she's a great athlete, very outdoorsy, and um, is a badass in the insurance space. She works more on commercial insurance. And from our first phone call, um, she was just telling me, you know, you got the people skills, you have the drive, you have the right mindset going into this. Um, I'm going to be here for you every step of the way. And I let her know how important that was to me to have a mentor in the space. And she goes, Noah, you know, you, you call me a mentor, you could call me whatever you want, but we're friends. That, that's what we are. We're friends. And that was just really special to me. And she, the best thing she ever said to me was, you know, I want you to call me after any kind of day you have, but I want to hear from you on your best days. But more importantly, I want to hear from you on your worst days. When you sell nothing, when you blow five deals, whatever it may be, that's when I really want to talk to you. And I want to know what your plan is going to be to make sure that tomorrow is a lot different. And yeah. Having her as someone to count on in the space has, uh, I think, had a direct correlation to my early success so far. Oh, for sure. And and that's kind of the whole point of a mentor too. It's like you're not using them or not – well, I should rephrase that because you're not using them. But but you're not – you you know, kind of like delving into their expertise only to just confirm your successes, right? Like the whole point is – that 90% of the time you should be asking them for guidance on your failures. Like the, they're there to guide you out of failure. And that's, that's the entire point. Right. And you know, this is one of the things that, that Nick and I just started doing, right. It's like, like 
90% of our calls are going to end up being like, Hey, what did I, what metric did I not hit? What did, you know, what did I fall short on here? How, how can I do slightly better on this? And the whole point is that like, I want Nick's perspective and I'm sure Nick wants mine. Like, how can I, how can I do slightly better on this in the next round of calls? Or how can I do slightly better on this in the next round of onboarding, whatever the case may be, because at the end of the day, you call it mentors, you call it accountability. It's kind of the same idea in, in, in essence, right? It's your willingness to actually bring up your, your pitfalls and your failures and have somebody there holding you accountable along with guiding you. And I think those are interchangeable, at least in this space. Definitely. Noah, to kind of, to kind of clarify more about what Todd was talking about, uh, me and him are starting to do accountability calls two to three times a week to pretty much just talk about Hey, as pretty much what just Tyler mentioned, what do we do great today? What do we not do great today? How can we improve? How can we learn from this mistake? That type of stuff. So yeah, two two to three times a week, two minimum. I'd say Tyler's are probably accurate, but probably I ideally two to three. And yesterday's call is about an hour because we haven't caught up in a little bit. But most calls I'd say would be about what five to fifteen minutes, probably. Yeah, yeah, J- just sort of like touching base, and and that that's the thing. It's like. You know, I was very glad like when, when you hit me up about that and, and we kind of decided that we're going to implement something like this because self-accountability only goes so far. I mean, let's let's be real. Like, like you know, if, if I'm going to say something as cliche as your network is your net worth, I'm going to use it on that because it seriously is. And, and the reason for that is not only because of the resources that the other person might bring, but merely the external accountability. It's like when you look up to somebody – you don't want to let them down. And when they're banking on your success to then also fuel their success, which in turn refuels yours, and it's this vicious you know, circle, I use that the best connotation possible, you kind of rely on, on, on yourself and the other person. I actually, I got a buddy who he's been on a couple episodes named Spencer, and we do something similar where we, we don't have like designated calls, but we have these certain points we hold each other accountable. And I've made it very clear with him and vice versa. Like the, the, the whole point that we hold each other accountable is so that in turn, we're holding ourselves accountable at the same time, because not because he's holding me accountable more so because if I fail, then I fail him. And so you also have that sort of like reliance of the other person's success on you as well. And, you know, that's what you get with the external you know, networking and accountability with other people that you don't get with self-accountability, at least what I've noticed. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what I love about being in um, a corporate space. Um, I love the morning emails our company sends out noticing the top agents from the day prior. I love the, I love kind of the goals that we all set for each other. When we see our dashboards of who's sold what for the month or who's brought in new business, it is a team win. It's something everyone's excited about. And there's an accountability standpoint. You know, wherever you're standing um, month to date on your revenue that you've brought in, that's something that everyone could see. It's something that you're held accountable for. It could be a bit intimidating, but that's going to be dependent on how you look at it. It's an opportunity to show that you're doing your part and you're on a stage for people to see uh, the effort you're putting in. Right. Well, the entire idea is like like fire is intimidating. 
and it makes you run. And you probably should run when there's a fire that sparks. So intimidation is good because it gets you to the right place and it gets you to do the right thing. So I absolutely agree. And now something that I'd love to hear a little bit about you is like, you know, and I ask everybody this every episode is they're one, three, five and 10 year goals. And I want to know like, well, first of all, Nick, do you have to jet in a couple minutes? So the client pushed it back to a three thirty mountain time. Okay, so perfect. Very good timing on our behalf to, uh, yeah. no, I have an application call here at three thirty. So, um, it was supposed to be a two thirty, but the client pushed it back and I was like, great. Love that. You'd be on the podcast the whole time now. Yeah. So. Sweet. But I'm good. Okay. I'm good. All right. So yeah, no, I'll start with you. So where's, where does Noah want to be in one year's in one year in three years, five years, and then 10 years. And now this is, this can be business. This can be personal. This can be anything. Definitely. You know, I aim big and I hope to hit where I aim. And, and I mean that when I say I want to set a goal, um, I like to achieve those goals. I wanted to be the first person to hit $20,000 in new revenue um, in my third month at Goosehead. I made that happen. In one year, I want to be the best insurance agent in Colorado. I want to sell more insurance than anyone else in this state. In five years, I want to be training people to become the best insurance agents in the state. You know, I want to be building people and building something that's bigger than myself. In 10 years, I want to be teaching people how to teach other people how to do it. And I really want to have that trickle down effect of creating, you know, I want to, I want to create great producers, but I want to create people to that, you know, mold people to that point where they're ready to show it to someone else. And I, I just think that takes intensity, uh, excitement, and belief. Because like when you believe in someone, you really have to, and and they feel it, and they want to succeed, they want to learn, and they're definitely going to listen. And you know, I, I want to first, I, I got to prove myself, you know, and make sure that I'm doing that to a point where I'm ready to be teaching people. But then uh, I want to see the people that I teach succeed, and I want to get them to a point where they're comfortable enough to share that same experience with someone else who's entering the space. Yeah. And what, why do you do all of it? You know, why, why do you have kids? Why do you keep creating? Why do you make businesses? It's because it's an extension of your name. And, you know, it's like the one thing we have in this world, you know, money, whatever it may be, uh, cool things. We have our name and, that's what means more than anything else. And showing people other things that you can do and getting them better at it, providing that confidence with them is an extension of your name. And, you know, I want to extend my name with as much good, with as much love and as much motivation to as many people as possible. And the more I am in the insurance space in three short months, I'm seeing a more clear vision of what that could look like here. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, it's, it sounds like you, you have that like sort of strategic plan. Like for, before I decide to try and spew off any sort of education, I'm going to make sure that the proof's in the pudding for a good five years. And then 10 years though, that's really cool is that it's almost like a ladder for you to, uh, in terms of education. And 
correct me if I'm wrong, but this would be the second and or third education endeavor that you've taken in your life. Yeah. So is education like a, a huge, uh, I mean, I know you said like education was huge for you growing up, but being the educator, is that like, is that a real passion of yours? Definitely. I love learning something and sharing that with other people. But what goes hand in hand with that is inspiring and motivating people. I love, I love having a fire lit myself. The only thing that's more exciting for that is lighting a fire for someone else, talking to someone, motivating them, firing them up, telling them you believe in them, and then seeing them succeed. There's nothing like it. And it's not something that you buy or, um, you know, whatever it is, it's just seeing someone believe in themselves and succeed is second to none. Yeah. I love that, man. Because, you know, I, I, I connect with you on that level a lot because like I, I in specific, I love psychology. Psychology is like huge um, in in my life. I I love learning about it. And I always say like, if I wasn't in real estate, I would have gone to school to be a, a psychologist. Like I just understanding how people think in the human brain. I mean, the human brain, sure, but that's more psychiatry and the, the biological science behind it. But like, in essence, I love it because I love to be able to connect with somebody and, tr- and try and give them advice from a perspective that I see in them that others may not and they specifically do not, right? Like, like taking that extra step to educate them almost on something that I notice that they may not notice about themselves. Because at the end of the day, we, our worst enemy is always going to be ourselves. And it's sad sometimes to see people, like I mentioned earlier, with the limiting beliefs and things like that, who get in their own way and to be able to educate them, not only on the, the content of the industry, but then how to take it a step further and get yourself out of your own way to, to leave room to apply that knowledge of the content of the industry is just as much of an, a necessity as anything else. And I think that there would be so many more people who would be motivated towards success if they knew how to get out of their own way, right? If they knew how to get those thoughts out of their way and it really comes down to psychology. So I connect with you on that. I know I went off on a tangent, but I, that's something that I love. Um, and Nick, I know, I know we've connected on this before. Um, I we have, I've asked you before, but since we last talked, has anything changed with your one, three, five, and 10? Not necessarily. Um, I remember, what was my one, three, five year plan? What did I say to you? Do you have it written down somewhere or? I, I don't. I'd have to go back to the podcast. But I, I, I think one of them was you moving to Denver. In which I am. So, which I have. So something has changed because something had to fill that spot. That's true. I, I, I remember it was three years. I think – the three-year goal was to be making President's Club year over year. And then in five years, was to be Megastar's number one producing lender. Okay. Um, that absolutely has not changed. Um, I have enormous plans for 2024. I do have certain take from the economy here going into the new year, but I'm not going to allow it to prohibit me from succeeding my the goals I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. I have personal financial goals I want to hit. I have business goals I want to hit. I have health and fitness goals I want to hit too. I'm not going to allow any form of economic condition that's going on 
that's outside of my control to prohibit me from achieving those. There's always people buying. There's always ways to make money. There's always ways to go out and be better every single day. So yeah, nothing's really changed and I'm still getting after it. Yeah. I mean, someone's going to be successful in a recession. There's always going to be somebody. And so the real question is like, why can't it be you? And that's what I was just talking about in terms of those, those self-limiting beliefs. It's like, what exactly makes somebody else profitable in a recession and you in the red? Well, it, it, it's clearly isn't the recession because somebody's making it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's the whole idea. What I kind of meant taking a step back and really going inside and figuring out, okay, well, what exactly is it that I'm doing that's not causing me to hit the certain goals that I want to, that I want to hit. And good example of that was what I had mentioned earlier about knowing the plug and play skill set and mentality that you have to work in these different industries. And I think that that would make you very successful in a time that, you know, we could be potentially coming up on. Um, so thing I want to kind of finish up on is the, the question that I ask everybody. I don't know if how far you've gotten through any episodes. No, I know Nick knows this, but um, I always ask the last guest to leave a question for the next guest. And I mean, the episode came out today, so you might know who the prior guest was. But um, what he asked was, what is your why? But would you continue to do your why to, or, or to, to do what you do and sacrifice your why for profitability? Or would you go into something different, some other industry, so that you could retain your why above all else? It's a great question, processing it here. Yeah, you know, I'd say my why is to be great. And to be great means a lot of things to me. To be great is, you know, to be great, to be good at what I do, to be honest, to be a leader, to to be challenging, to push people. Um, I want to be great in whatever it is that I do. Um, I don't want to just do an okay job of it. That's why I wake up at 5.30 every morning. That's why I wear a suit every day, why I take the time to you know, brush my hair every morning, whatever it may be. Um, my why is to be great and to leave my name on whatever it is I'm a part of, because I don't like to do things um, half in, half out. It, it needs to be all the way in. That needs what I what I. That needs to be how I'm committed to it, because that's how I'm going to deliver the best result. Um, when people hear the name Noah Taxman, I want it to be something they're excited about. They're happy. Um, I want it to be a name that is good to be brought up in every room. So that's what I'd say my why is. And in terms of sacrificing it for profit, I'm answering this pretty indirectly, but the um, obvious answer to me is no, uh, of course not. But that being said, I believe myself being great in any space will lead towards profit, will lead towards me getting closer to achieving whatever goal I may have. So I would not be willing to sacrifice it. If someone told me to start bending the rules and doing things a different way and go a solo route, that's not going to help others. And you're going to make five to X more money. I have no interest in that. Um, 
my why is to be great. And my answer to that question is no, I would not sacrifice that. I love it. I love it. it it's kind of like a, I, I just had this idea in my head, like the, the idea of doing everything that you should be doing. And due to that fact, the money will fall, the profitability will fall, the results will follow. I, I kind of look at it like, you know, everyone makes the mistake of, of chasing the actual result. Kind of look at it like, like a dog chasing their own tail. The tail's going to follow you. You don't need to grab it. This, if you try and grab it, if dogs are chasing his tail all day long, never going to grab it. The reality is it follows him if he just f- essentially forgets it's there. It's always there. It's always going to follow you. If you just continue to go about your day, the tail's going to follow you. The second you chase it, you're going to stay stagnant and you're never actually going to get it. So I, I love that a lot. And um, I'm going to ask you to leave a question. And I'm going to also throw it over to Nick too. So actually I'll throw it over to Nick if you want, if you don't have a question just yet. Yeah, I'll take a second to think on it. Okay. Um, so Nick, I'm going to ask you the same question. What is your why? And would you sacrifice for profitability or would you go into a different industry if it meant that you could retain your why? I would never like do something just for the sake of profit. I think that's such a bad way to live life because money will be there if you do the right thing. You do a good job for people in your certain industry. I, I love lending. I love being in the mortgage business. So I can't say that I would leave the industry for the sake of chasing profit. I love seeing people's faces when they close on their house. I love seeing people's faces when I know I can save them money on their mortgage payment each month. Setting people up to succeed financially with real estate is something I firmly believe is capable, especially during a higher rate environment. So the answer is no, I would not sacrifice profitability for the sake. Sorry, sacrifice my career for the sake of making profit elsewhere. Um, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I've always wanted to do my own thing and and build my own business and to work for myself. So, and you know, Tyler, I want to own a gym one day. I want to run a coffee shops one day too, on top of being a great lender on top of that. So I will enter other industries at some point in my life. I'm never going to stop being a mortgage lender because I have other interests outside of that, but I would never leave an industry just for the sake of making profit elsewhere. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and my why at the end of the day is to impact people in the, in the way that I know how to do so best. And right now that is inspiring people to succeed with real estate, make sure that they are set to succeed in that category. And then, you know, me, I'm a big fitness guy. I love to get out and do crazy things. No, I didn't. Iron Man. not sure if you knew that or not. Um, and I made a whole documentary on it and hopefully people got inspired to, get off the couch and go move. So I definitely plan to inspire people in many different ways and forms, Um, not just in the mortgage business, but outside of it too. And that's really my why is to make people inspired to want to be better than they were yesterday and to live the best life they could think of. Yeah. Yeah. You're crazy motherfucker for those Iron Man, dude. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. We um, actually, I actually want to say something on behalf of uh, Noah. Speaking of um, how you said you wanted to be great, 
I'm sure Scott Noble would agree with you on that. Yeah. Considering you got up at 5:30, or not before that. Um, before, sorry to get off topic here, but I do want Noah to talk about this real quick. Yeah. Because I went through the same thing <laughs> earlier this year. So no, if you want to talk about it, by all means. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out Endorphin Gym. Um, it is a something they call the Murph workout. Um, Nick inv- invited me to this workout where it is full of a lot of professionals in the real t- real estate space, and um, this guy Scott leads the leads the workout. So every Wednesday at five thirty in the morning, they call it a um, the warrior workout. It kind of replicates a worth a Murph workout to some extent. Um, there's no, you're not wearing any weighted vest, but it is a badass workout. You know, I came there on the last week of November in Colorado. You best believe it was cold. Uh, it was about 21 degrees in the morning when we got there. And the first thing that happened, right. When I walked in the door, he goes, all right, here's Noah. Here's the new guy. I didn't even know he remembered my name for the first time we met. He goes, here he is. He actually showed up. Let's see it. And he says to everyone in the room, you know, if he doesn't throw up and he makes it, uh, he makes it all the way through this workout, you all better let him quote you out on his insurance. And I go, you know, I'll take it. And that being said, um, he goes, you know, but if he doesn't make it through this workout or he throws up, he's blacklisted. No one's going to him for quotes. Like he, he gives you shit right away. He pushes yeah. you. He, he brings the best out of you. And right away, he gets us going on the bikes in crazy hard uh, cycling workout. He's coming up to me every 30 seconds and putting my resistance all the way higher. Um, just pushing everyone. Knows everyone's name very personally. And of course, making jokes with everyone. But it, it came out in such a way of love. He listens. He cares. And wanted to see, he wanted to push everyone to the limit. You know, I didn't think I was going to set my alarm at 4.30 in the morning, make it to this workout. And you know, just do it with not no problem, but just be able to do it. That's not something I really thought was going to happen, but Wednesday came around and it did. Um, every time we did like a switch for the workout, he would put me on the hardest one. It was time to go do a run outside in that 21 degree weather. He had me going quarter mile. Let's see it, Noah. And it, it was just really rewarding. He put me in a position where he knew I was going to be uncomfortable, but he believed I could do it. And that is a feeling that kind of talks, we've all talked about this, inspiring others, you know, and just showing some, uh, Tyler, you said it really well, you know, seeing something in someone and then getting them to see it themselves. That is something that you can't put a price tag on. You know, yeah. he saw that uh, I had high energy. I seemed like a motivated kid, and he had the belief that I could make it through his five thirty in the morning workout, and I did. And yeah. that's where it can transcend to anything else. I could hit twenty k in my third month. I can um, create a podcast that a lot of people are going to watch. Whatever it is, if you have that belief in yourself, you can do it. And he really helped deliver belief in me, which transcended to the rest of my day and week. Yeah. And what's interesting about that too, is that when you know what success looks like, you understand someone's intention when they're pushing you to it. And, it, it, and that, that's, a, that's a very important thing to understand too, because you know, you, you see these, these influencers all over the place who are sitting there yelling and screaming. And you know, you, you think that they're 
I'll use Andy Elliott as an example because Andy Elliott's a very vocal. I don't, I'm sure you both are familiar with Andy Elliott. He's very vocal um, and kind of a hard ass. But, you know, are some of his things a little influencery like? Yeah, probably, you know. But for the most part, if you listen to a lot of the content, it, he could go one of two ways. He could look like the biggest asshole or he can look like somebody who he actually gives a shit about the people in his trainings. And the, the only difference between those two perspectives is understanding success and what it takes versus not really understanding what exactly it takes. Maybe you see the results of success, but actually understanding what it is in essence is a little bit tougher, but that's exactly it. It's like what you just said is it comes up what, what his name's Scott. Yep, exactly. Scott. So it comes off like very like hard ass, like walking around, you know, giving you shit, giving you the hardest workouts, like really challenging you. He's not being an asshole to you to be an asshole. You know what success looks like, and so does he. And he knows what it takes to get there, and so do you. And that's why you're receptive to it, and he's okay with dishing it out. And when you go to educate people, regardless of what space it is, you're probably going to be a bit of a hard-o, right? That, like, that's, the, that's the only way that you, you really get somebody to understand. And the best part is is that when you do that early on, it weeds people out. It, you know, it, it, it really kind of narrows down like who – who here is ready to be receptive to what this takes? Because if you're not, you will learn very quickly. Now, that's why I don't always agree with like the, the super like light and fluffy educational types, because it's like, that doesn't really teach you much, nor does it narrow down. It almost gives people false hope who aren't receptive to what it actually takes to learn. Right. Absolutely. So, um, I know you get a jet in a couple minutes, Nick. So, uh, no, what's that? What's that question you got? I got a question, and it might be a little bit confusing. So, I have a, I got an answer to go along with it. Okay. Um, question would be: What is an athlete you strive um, to be like in your professional self? And um, the answer, like I think I have for me, if this just helps frame it any better. I'm uh, going to preface this. I know I, I didn't want to be controversial today, but I do think Michael Jordan is the absolute GOAT. No questions asked. Uh, that being said, I think LeBron James is who I would strive to be like in, in my professional career. I want to be a player um, who every time I step on the court, I make the rest the, the rest of my team that much better. Um, I want to be someone who lifts other people up and you know, take someone who is, um, you know, might not be, uh, the best themselves, but, you know, after playing with me for a while, gets a lot of growth from that. So I think it's a cool thing to compare who you strive to be like as a professional self, who's an athlete. Yeah. I love that. How about you, Nick? Let's get your answer real quick before you get to go. As an athlete, I do have to jump off here pretty quickly, but yeah, if you don't have time, that's fine. It's all good. I can answer the question. I will have to hop off here, but the athlete I would want to be like, God, that's such a good question because there's so many good ones to choose from. But if I had to choose anyone, I guess that would really resemble me in like how I've overcome obstacles and challenges. I'd say Steph Curry. 
I'm not comparing myself to Steph Curry in the slightest. I am, I could shoot the three, but no one can shoot it as good as he can. Um, but he was undersized. He was not a top rated recruit. He didn't go to Duke or UNC or one of those big basketball schools. He went to Davidson College, but that opportunity allowed him to thrive. Um, I was very much so a late bloomer myself, and I was, I didn't have the best grades in school, and I definitely had a, I'd say, a more tougher upbringing than most people. A very privileged upbringing, but just how I was born it took me longer to develop that way, and that really was some great character development for me. And I've utilized that fuel to want to be better every single day and to not prove other people wrong, but prove myself right Mm -hmm. to go do an Ironman to, you know, move to Colorado to start my own mortgage business to, you know, do things that are uncomfortable because how else are you going to grow if you don't be uncomfortable? You know yeah. what I mean? And take those challenges and takes and take those leaps. So us being all in our early twenties, we all have the right mindset to go out and crush it. So by the time all of us here are in our thirties, we're going to be in a much different spot in life where we're going to be able to look back and reflect and be thankful for everything we went through. Absolutely. So I'm sure Steph Curry can look back and say, man, I'm so happy I went to Davidson college because it brought out the best in me and look what he, look what he is now. So yeah. that's what that, I would man. say is my, is my athlete comparison, but not Seth Curry, but you know what I mean? When we hop I back, did top off here yeah. guys, but yeah. I appreciate everything. See you guys later. Have fun. Absolutely. Great talking Thanks, with you. See it. No, safe travels to uh, California. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. See you guys. Tyler, the thing I was just going to say before he hopped off was, you know, he said it really well. You know, if we continue this drive from our early 20s and on, when we're recording episode 1800 and looking back on this one, you know, it's going to be cool to see where everyone's grown to. Yeah, that's that's huge, man. And, and um, you have a few more minutes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's cool because I, you know, I plan to to hopefully at some point this year, bring, bring some of the older guests on for that very purpose. It's like, I want to see where, like, I really want to show what's possible in 12 months or whatever. Like if it's been 12 months since I had them on the last time, I want them back on because number one, they get to reflect on their one year goal. And that's always awesome. But number two, it's like, you know, everyone I have on are straight killers. Every single one of the people that I have on these podcasts are people who are just like balls to the wall with whatever it is that they're doing. And they set like realistic attainable goals and they have true, like, like, like metrical sort of strategies in order to achieve that goal. And it's so cool hearing their success over time because, you know, the first person that comes to mind is, is uh, Mr. Clean mobile detailing. Um, There are a couple of kids from Methuen and, they're just like when I had them on, they were they were like three months into their business, brand new business. They I don't even think they'd ever owned a business up to that point. And they they had like by that point like a hundred or so cleanings. I mean, these are kids who just got out there and they just fucking did it. And they just plugged and played what they know best. And they're some of the most like humble guys on the planet. Like you you I don't know if you listen to any of it, but they're just like super good kids and honest and loyal and fair 
And like, it's all those things the the common qualities of people that I have on this podcast and they all come with the same or very similar qualities to them and, and to you as well. And so absolutely dude. in a year from now, we're going to be back on this podcast. Hopefully can fly out to Denver and we can do an in-person podcast or something. I'd love that. Yeah. I would absolutely love that. And you know, everything um, you said is so much truth behind it and the power of believing yourself and sticking to it. It, it pays off and what you're doing here is so cool. You know, just you're put giving people the platform to share what's working for them and the check-in. It, I, you know, these initial episodes are very cool in themselves, but the check-in episodes are what I think are going to be even cooler, you know, yeah. seeing what people have done after talking about this and catching back up with them. Uh, I'm looking forward to continuing following what you're doing. Um, yeah, I, believe no, it I appreciate in. it, man. Likewise. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to have to get out to Denver. I keep telling Nick that I'm going to do that. He's, she's trying to get me to fit in a Breck trip in between. I'm going to Nashville and then the Bahamas like a month later. I'm trying to see if I can fit in a Breckenridge trip, but I've never skied or I've, I've been a couple times. I always played hockey. So like clash. So I was always, I was always on skates instead of skis, but I'm like, dude, the last time I went skiing, pretty much the first time since I was like two years old was last year. And I was like, dude, I was falling over like everywhere. I'm like, you really want me to go to Breckenridge and do this? Come on. You'll get it down. Especially if you're like a comfortable skater, um, you'll be just fine. And you'll have so much fun being out here no matter what. Send it, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to. But um, no, I appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate everything you shared. And you know, you put everything into a, a, like a attainable, um, concept, right? Like where, pe- where people can listen to this, really understand what are some of the steps that you took. Um, I appreciate your transparency as well. Like there's so many things that you've been doing and, and you know, you've broken it down beautifully. So I appreciate all that, man. Um, any final thoughts, anything that you want to add, you can plug any social medias, anything like that. Yeah. Check out insured by Noah. If you're looking for the best coverage or the best rates, I'll get you taken care of. But other than that, I'm just really grateful for this opportunity to have done this. The first podcast I've ever been on and awesome. um, would love Hopefully it. Hopefully one of many. Yeah, absolutely. would love to do it again yeah. one day.